When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We typically think of time as linear, right? I'm looking at my, my phone here and it's telling me it's 9.16 p.m. in New York City. And we, we, we believe, according to the way our brains work and our five senses work, that 9.16 is before 9.17, right? And it's before 10 o'clock. Um, and we believe that space is three-dimensional, Right. But in reality, um, those are just constructs of our minds. They're actually constructs of our brains. And I've come to understand that time is not linear. Okay, and this is hard to wrap our heads around because our heads can't, um, can't understand this logically. There's some phenomena in nature that defy logic, that defy reason. These are concepts that modern physics has explored. There's a field of quantum mechanics and relativity that explored deeply the idea that um, particles can behave as if they're communicating outside the, the bounds of space and time. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras, and now your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here host and founder of My7Chakras, My7Chakras.com, the place where we help you calm your mind, relax your nervous system, and experience deep states of bliss. In today's episode, I hope to explore some of my favorite topics, some of my favorite themes, such as consciousness, teleportation, parallel dimensions, mind-body awareness, breath work, and really accessing the full power of the mind. We're going to go deep in this episode. It's going to be a very nuanced dialogue. So if you have any questions, if you have any comments, something that sparked in your mind as well, make sure you add a comment below so that I can respond later on or maybe in the stream as well. If you like what you're listening to, what you're what you're watching right now, especially if you're on iTunes, make sure you hit subscribe and make sure that you tell at least one friend of this podcast because that helps us grow and that lets iTunes know that uh, you know this episode is good. With that being said, let's bring on our special guest for today, Patricia Musam. Patricia is a pioneer in the synthesis of science, holistic health, and contemporary spirituality and has distinguished herself as a practitioner, educator, and research scientist. She has been an influential force in shaping the landscape of healthcare options available today. And as a thought leader, she was invited to participate in the National Institute of Health-sponsored 
endeavors to investigate healthcare practices outside the realm of Western medicine, which led to the government-mandated formation of the Office of Alternative Medicine, now the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. And that is something that's very, very important in today's world. So that's why I'm super excited to have you on. Welcome to our show, Patricia. Thank you, AJ, for having me. I'm really honored to be with you. Thank you. Likewise, likewise. And I'm sure that our listeners as well are really intrigued and interested in hearing what you have to say. But like we always start, we start from the very beginning. So if you can tell me and our listeners, where uh, were you born and where did you grow up? And uh, just a glimpse into what your childhood was like. Sure. I was born in New Jersey in the United States. Um, I grew up in a suburban town. I was one of two. I have a younger brother named David, who is likewise very interested in all things consciousness-wise and spiritual-wise and beyond the realm of what we normally think is reality. Um, And I I had an interesting family history, an interesting personal history. Uh, my father was a Holocaust survivor, and um, my mother was uh, somebody who experienced World War II as well. She was British, and I had a number of formative experiences that really shaped my understanding of the world and reality and health and medicine. I don't know if you want me to segue to that right away, or do you want to chat a little bit first? Oh, uh Absolutely. And thanks for sharing that with me. It really, I think, adds a a dimension to the interview when I personally, you know, get to know how things um, started for you and the role that, you know, especially your parents played. Because I think, and I'm sure you would agree that uh, as children, we're really looking up to role models and especially our parents, right, in terms of making sense of this world and for the most part, staying alive. Yeah, well, my parents were both survivors and thrivers of um, war trauma. And my father, uh, this is a little bit more of my longer, my more, my, my longer family history. My father was a physician as I am, and my father's father was, and so was his father. So I'm, a, I'm the fifth generation of physicians, although I, I never aspired to be that. <laughs> I ended up being a doctor. Um, kind of circuitously. But something that happened early on in my childhood uh, that that was very influential and eventually influenced me later, later, later in life when, when it came time to think about, well, gee, what do I want my path to be, was that my father had a, a really catastrophic stroke when he was quite young, when he was 49 years old. That stroke left him aphasic, meaning he couldn't find the words he wanted to say, and partially paralyzed, paralyzed on one side. And he lived for many, many years after that. He lived for 19, 20 years after that. He made some progress um, through various types of rehabilitation. He was very open-minded, especially for a physician at the time. He, He explored acupuncture. But what happened years later was that um, when I was in medical school, I was studying acupuncture with an, quite an eccentric, um, kind of crazy, like brilliant scientist kind of guy. 
a physician, PhD, MD, PhD, who had some really seemingly crazy ideas about healing, health and healing. But he, he, he evidenced remarkable results. And my father actually uh, explored his treatments. And within days of his particular treatment, he worked with something called qi or energy, which we're familiar with in Chinese medicine. Sure, you know, it's, it's prana in, in the Indian um, cosmology. And he worked with um, various theories that had to do with the causes of, of, of stroke and other diseases. And I won't go into all those details now, but suffice to say, my father, who was told when he had his stroke at age 49, that he was going to be a vegetable for life, which he ended up not being through many years of rehabilitation. Um, his, he, he, he had a remarkable cure. His, his speech actually returned to normal. His speech returned to normal. Um, it, it was quite amazing and it forever changed my understanding of the nature of health and medicine and reality in terms of what is possible in terms of healing. He, um, unfortunately didn't stay with the treatment, so it didn't persist, but we did witness my family, my mother, my brother, and I did witness, um, his remarkable return to normal speech, which he hadn't had for years. So that was one very powerful experience. From so, from the standpoint of chi, were you able to look back and sort of find out what happened to your father? Like, why did he have the stroke, and then what about his new approach led to him having that, um, you know, resolution or that transformation? Sure. Yeah, that that's a very good question, and I think it's always um, it's first. It's always tricky to know exactly why. Yeah. Why disease is, is caused and why healing happens. You know, there can even be karmic causes of diseases. There can be past life causes of diseases. Mm -hmm. This isn't something I was taught in medical school, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And my right. my teachers would think I'm woo woo yeah. if I were to say that, right? Yeah. But I will I will share with you my impression of why my father had this experience. He was seemingly really healthy. He was a jogger before running was popular. Yeah. You know, he just liked to run and move. And one day after jogging, he woke up and he couldn't move his half of his body and he couldn't speak normally. He couldn't get the words out. My father was, as I said, a survivor and a thriver, but he had a very traumatic childhood as um, due to the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And he repressed that trauma. He repressed those emotions. He, rep he repressed the experiences of that trauma. And we know nowadays that trauma is a risk factor for disease. You know, we can hold emotional vibrations. Thoughts and feelings are literally things. Right. We can hold thoughts and feelings in our bodies and they can create a focus for disease, for dis-ease, sort of psychic, emotional unease and literally physical disease. So he was very repressed. Um, he was very repressed. He wasn't in touch with what had happened. And interestingly enough, after the stroke, he was quite disinhibited. In other words, he was able to express his feelings in ways that he never expressed before, oh, even though okay. his speech before that, that unusual treatment was still a little faltering uh, or significantly faltering. He was able to express emotions and he mm -hmm. would express 
sadness and grief and anger um, that he had he had held deeply within. So I um, think that that was a, a big factor in, in what happened to him. What we resist persists, um, mm-hmm. and it's held in the body in terms of emotions. Yeah, that's that's very fascinating because it also speaks to sometimes how our body will go to extremes to quote unquote shake us up in order for us to express a more full spectrum of emotions that we might sometimes hold back. And it's so common, right, for uh, men and women to hold back certain emotions that are not in alignment with what society says that gender or that expression should express or not, right? Like like a lot of times men have a lot of shame. Similarly, women have a lot of shame. And I'm sure that holding back those emotions, those feelings will plants a seed, like kar- karmic seed, which can then manifest sometime in the future. We don't know when, but it, when it happens, Western medicine will only look at the immediate causes, but then there's some cause that happened sometime in the past that has now led to uh, the manifestation. So. That's right. That's beautifully said, what you just described. In fact, all I like to say, and there's an element in my book that, that speaks to this, that all healing is ultimately emotional healing. Every thought, every feeling is affecting our body instantaneously so. This is a construct that's, that's not familiar in Western medicine. If you have an issue with your mind or your emotions, you see a psychiatrist. But in fact, in all the non-Western healing traditions, the mind and the body are intimately linked, are intimately and instantaneously linked. So whether I'm having a happy thought or a sad thought or an angry thought or a fearful thought or an emotion that's distressed or an emotion that's ease, my body is instantaneously responding to that. And it's either going to be in a state of what we call parasympathetic relaxation, which is when we're having a nice, easy, gentle thought or feeling, or if we're agitated or not feeling well mentally, emotionally, our sympathetic nervous system will be turned on. That parasympathetic system, that's the system that's turned on when we're feeling nice and easy and peaceful and relaxed and having good thoughts, that is a system that we need to have turned on for healing to happen. It relaxes the nervous system. It turns on the feel-good chemicals in the brain. It readies us for sleep if we're needing to sleep. It readies us for digestion if we're going to eat. It's the feel-good system, and we cannot heal without it. So, again, um, you know, mind and body are absolutely one. And if we're not in a place of ease, healing won't happen. And if we're in a place of dis-ease, we can move us out of that state to aggravate symptoms and cause disease. So whether they're long-held emotions that literally do stay in the body or they're feelings that are happening right now, they're affecting us. That was a long answer to (laughs) a short (laughs) comment. Sorry. Very, very, very true. And so you began having certain psychic experiences, right? When you were pretty young, maybe in college. Uh, So could you tell us how it began for you? Uh, like where were you and what was going on in your life at that point? And then, then you had the psychic experience. So take us back in time. Sure. Yes, yes, yes. I started having very intense psychic experiences when I was in college and I was studying uh, music. And um, in fact, um, 
uh, East Indian music. I had a professor who was a specialist in, in Indian Asian music. And I was studying physics. I loved physics. I loved the ideas of physics that kind of challenged our understanding of reality, which modern physics does. And um, I never liked biology. I went to become a doctor, but I wasn't really a big fan of biology, I'll say. Um, physics and music were my favorites. And I just was really loving and reveling in my studies. And um, I started to have these psychic experiences. And for, for, for example, I could foresee events happening in the future. I just Im image them in my mind. Um, I could hear people's thoughts. I could know what they were thinking. I could um, move objects and change the material substance of objects. I had some car keys and they actually kind of melted and bent in my hands, okay. in my fingers. Um, I had this really kind of special kinship with dogs, which I've, I've always been a, um, a big lover of dogs. In fact, I have a dog who I will warn everybody who's watching or listening to the watching the preview of the replay or live with us he's sleeping right now but sometimes he gets very relaxed and mellow and he dreams so if you hear anything going on beyond oh. me it might be my dog right. in an altered state of consciousness <laughs> <laughs> they say so, that you attract the dog that you are the type that you are right so if you are a very spiritual <laughs> or you know lucid dreamer then your dog is probably also like that <laughs> yeah and they also say that our dogs are our teachers so my yeah. dog is definitely a spiritual teacher he's very good at being in the moment being here now <laughs> <laughs> which is another big theme of my book he doesn't worry about the past or ruminate right. about the future um but anyhow yeah i started having um days and weeks of these really intense psychic experiences and i in addition to the 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 experiences i had i had this overwhelming feeling of peace um overwhelming feeling you mentioned bliss earlier overwhelming feeling of bliss that no matter what was going on in my life what was going on in the world everything was okay and that we were all connected in a very deep, um, I can't, can't really explain it differently. We were all connected beyond our individual, our, we didn't end here. We were all connected in this very profound way. Um, so it was, it was a very special experience for me that opened me up to a reality that I'd never known before. Mm -hmm. A reality beyond how our brains typically think and how our senses typically perceive the world around us. I'd had some psychic experiences earlier on as a child, but they weren't ever long enough that kind of made me stop to think and kind of consider what the world is really about. But this experience definitely transformed what I understood about life and the nature of reality. Right. That is very, very fascinating. And people who are watching this right now, uh, make sure that you're listening to each and every word and try to digest it because a lot of times, especially if you're tuning to this episode or this podcast for the very first time, you, you might just dismiss some things, but you need to revisit 
right? Maybe listen to this episode again in order to really fathom what is being said right here. Uh, but Patricia, what, what you're saying, again, it's huge things, right? Like you were talking about having experiences of um, seeing into the future, uh, reading people's minds, and also in a way transmutation, I would say, right? Because you were able to change the car keys into something different, right? So how long did this persist? And the first time that this happened to you, how did you, how did you make sense of of your model of reality, so to speak? I'm sure it must have come crashing down, right? The first time we have like a consciousness expansion experience, the first time we have a hallucinatory experience, like all our models of how we view Earth, how we view time, how we view space. How did that happen for you? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, let me answer your first question, how long it lasted. I honestly don't remember. And the reason, one of the reasons I don't remember is because of how that exper- the, that those experiences ended. Um, I didn't fully understand at the time what was going on. I, 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 I had these vivid experiences, but I didn't. I, I was naive and 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 shared them with other people that didn't understand and that thought I I was crazy. The the music professor whom I mentioned earlier, I was studying music and different non-Western forms of music. He was very well versed in these types of experiences. He knew a lot about um, Eastern philosophy and the CDs of the yogis that we speak of. Um, and he and his wife just kind of wanted to help me ground because yeah. I wasn't very grounded. Okay. These types of abilities, these psychic abilities are typically in the Asian paradigm in Chinese medicine and in Ayurveda medicine are considered air ether qualities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those of us who have um, more expansive air ether tend to have these abilities more readily. So it doesn't mean if we don't, we can't. But I wasn't very grounded. Now, I didn't have mm. a lot of my earth energy grounding me to say, okay, Trish, which is what I went by. You know, you're having these experiences, but most of the people around you don't get them. So you really shouldn't be telling everybody about it or okay. repeating their thoughts aloud. You know, right. so, so the long and the short of it was I wasn't able to make sense of it until a while later, years later. Um, what happened immediately to end those experiences was that I told the wrong, I don't think there's ever any, any, there's never the wrong people, you know, everything happens as it's supposed to. Um, and what happened as a result was divinely ordered as well, I believe, because it was a formative teacher. What happened was that, um, my father's my father had a friend who decided I was crazy and I was taken to the emergency room of a local hospital and against my will uh, an injection of a major tranquilizer was put into my butt and I was 
kind of numbed, anesthetized by that. And I was wheeled up to, I don't remember which floor it was of the hospital and kept in a locked psychiatric ward for a month and a half or more. And I don't remember that exactly either. Um, So I was deemed to be crazy, mentally ill because of those experiences. Um, And that in itself, that, that, that was the result of those experiences that that hospitalization was yet another incredibly powerful experience for me. It was very, very difficult at the time because I was told I was schizo this and manic depressive this, and I was put on four different medications that effectively anesthetized my mind and kind of made my body, um, you know, I couldn't figure out how to walk. I had to think about how to walk. You know, I had to think about literally moving one leg in front of the other. Um, so when the when the drugs started doing their job, I stopped having these experiences. And the and the number I got, the more according to the psychiatric um, professionals, the you know the the, the better I was getting. So long story. According short, to them, was, you were getting better. Exactly, exactly, because I was no longer making crazy statements about, um, you know, the future or or melting objects and that sort of thing. And um, I I don't know if you want me to continue on what happened. Yeah, you can go on. Um, So I was there for six weeks, maybe longer again. I don't remember. It was very blurred for me. And, um, eventually when I was deemed well enough to go home, cause my quote, you know, crazy behaviors had subsided. I, um, I, I returned home to my family. I had to leave college. It was a lot of, um, there was a lot of shame around that. And I actually will share with you and everybody that I had a lot of shame around writing this story. When I was starting to think about write a, writing a book, I, I told somebody who was giving me feedback on the book idea about this story. And she said, well, you have to share the story. And I had a lot of shame around it. And I still do. I don't announce it to the world, but it's in my book. <laughs> it's in the introduction of my book. So anyhow, what happened was I was sent home to my parents. Um, I had to leave college. That was just really difficult thing for me at the time, given where I was in my life and how I related to my identity and um, what my life was about then. And, um, I was still on all these meds and, um, still feeling really anesthetized. I couldn't look at a a piece of, uh, paper or newspaper and make sense of what the words meant. Um, I literally was really a zombie and I was like that for, for, I think over a year until one day my mother, who was remarkable, free thinking, fearless woman said to me, we have to get you off these medications. And um, she must have been my guardian angel in the past life. <laughs> but uh, she started weaning me slowly against the, you know, the, the better beliefs of the physician psychiatrist that I had to go check in with and get blood tests for and have rewrite my prescriptions. And she slowly weaned me, um, you know, opening capsules and dividing them in half, cutting tablets in half. And over time, and again, I don't remember the time frame because I was still kind of in a blur, returning from a blur. 
I slowly returned to myself, to my body, um, to my mind, to the way I used to think and feel in my mind and how I used to be in my body. Um, so that was uh, a very difficult experience at the time. But looking back on it, you asked about looking back on all of it. it looking back on it, it was an incredible gift because it taught me about the limits of Western medicine the incorrect beliefs of Western medicine about consciousness, about medicine, about healing. Uh, my father's stroke and his subsequent remarkable cure, even though it was transient, taught me about the, um, the limits of Western medicine and how healing beyond conventional Western medicine is absolutely possible. Right. Absolutely possible. And that hospitalization taught me about... Um, the the perils of modern psychiatry actually mm -hmm. um yeah yeah that's that's really interesting and thanks for sharing that um i've read some stories and we can go into a little bit of that later on about what exactly happened with the uh field of psych psychiatry in the 60s and 70s and the number of people that were tortured and, and put on heavy doses of medicines only for the satisfaction of certain agencies that wanted to study the human mind. Um, so a lot of stuff has happened, right, in the, in, the, in the past. And it's very good that somebody like yourself now who is an MD can come from a position of authority, can then tell people that, you know what, um, health is not the absence of sickness. Health is something way beyond that. Right? It's about thriving. It's about feeling that energy, that electricity in your body. It's about having a strong memory. It's about being vibrant and then going on and creating something. Or health could be whatever you you know, want to feel. But I think part of what you're saying in your book also is it all begins when you are rested and digested and, uh, and relaxed. So I want to go a little bit into the experiences you had because I find that very interesting. But could you talk to me a bit about your experiences in teleportation? Do you remember at all what it was like or what you experienced? Yeah, I had one experience in particular. And I don't know if I could really call it teleportation. It was the sense that I was traveling over ground. But true teleportation is is a material body moving from one location to another without traveling the way we typically travel, right? So what I did is I traveled in my mind. Um, so I teleported in my mind across space, across distance. Whether I really did, I can't say. I've had since then, um, I mean, many, many years later after I... Um, went to medical school, I was involved in parapsychology research and doing research with psychics and healers. And I had a, a dear colleague and friend who is remarkably gifted healer. And I write about him in the book in a section called Miracles of the Natural Order of Things, who had, we could call psychic abilities, who indeed was able to teleport. He could move his body from one location to another without taking public transportation, shall we say. <laughs> and it's hard to talk about it because it sounds so unbelievable to people. But, you know, matter and energy, physics tells us this, and so does ancient wisdom, that matter and energy are just one and, and intercontrovertible. 
Um, but I did um, have an experience with him teleporting his body without taking the elevator somewhere. So how do you, how did you, I'm, I'm really interested, how did you go about um, testing his abilities of teleportation? What was that, what was that like? That's a good question. And it's not, you know, it's not a great scientific experiment. It was just an observational experiment. We just, yeah. I was working with a friend of mine, Alexander Image, who was remark another remarkable human being. He lived to be 112, at one point the oldest person in the world. He was a parapsychologist, and we collaborated on doing um, observational studies together and experiments with psychics and people doing things like putting a spoon in a in a bottle that had a narrower diameter than the than the than the size of the spoon. Um, and we just observed that he um, did not take you know, he, he made it to the 14th floor, um, without taking the elevator. He just literally landed in the living room from the, from, from the lobby of the building. So it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a true scientific experiment that we designed in a way that we could prove that you have to just kind of, <laughs> um, he also materialized objects. He materialized money. He again, money and ener matter and energy are intercontrovertible, and he had this ability to use his mind to materialize objects, and he materialized money, literally in a big box, dollars, you know, paper bills. Yeah, and this happened. That I bore witness. That I saw. That I saw. That you saw. Yeah. So. I'm just trying to think because a lot of times you say that this person is a gifted healer or this person is a gifted psychic. And then a lot of times you say that this person is an experienced healer. He's an experienced or she is an experienced psychic, which means either they've done a lot of practice themselves or they've worked with a mentor uh, or guide that has taken them through the hero's journey, so to speak, to reach a certain level of experience versus some people are gifted. So this person, was he was he gifted? Or do you feel he was experienced? And he by gifted, gifted, he just had it. Just he just knew he had these abilities. Okay. He was gifted. He came in with these abilities, okay. and he was a deeply spiritual person. He was an Egyptian. And he had deeply committed practice. Um, he was Muslim. Yeah. And he was deeply committed to his spiritual practices, and I do believe that these supported his gifts. Yeah. So he was, was it some very, kind of Sufism, he, some mystical? Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes, and he lived. He existed on a on another plane most of the time. He was connected to other ethers most of the time. And I also like to comment, if it's okay, just on the mention of healers. Um, I there are people that we might call healers, but ultimately, I do believe that the ultimate healer lies within. So, yeah, so there are people that we can seek out who are labeled as gifted or experienced healers, but they don't actually heal or fix us. They facilitate the inner healing that happens within our being, and they have an ability to do that. Yeah. That is, yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. Nobody can heal you yourself. Your body does the whole healing, but they facilitate or they, they're like a conduit or they hold space for the healing to, to take place. Uh, that's very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Now, when you were uh, 
admitted into the ward. Uh, which year was it? Do, do, do you remember? It was... Um... Yeah, it's funny. It doesn't come. To or which mind. Uh, which range yeah, it, was it? it? It was the early nineteen nineties. Early nineteen nineties. The reason why I'm asking is because have you heard of Project MK Ultra? Yes, I have. Yeah. So you know, you had these secretive agencies, and there's a whole podcast series about that. I think it's by NBC or one of these. It's available on iTunes. But MK Ultra, as you probably know, is when they, without permission without uh, consent, took some people into the psych ward, gave them a lot of drugs, did conducted a lot of tests against their will just to study um, the human mind. And so I was wondering whether, do you know that w w was some agency involved in your? In no, your and you know, AJ, I'm, I'm really disconnected and it. it's kind of an example of how I still have a little bit of shame around that all. I, it was not the 1990, it was 10 years prior to that. Okay. It was the early 80s, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I have a little disconnect sometimes. I'm not used to talking about it a lot. It's easier right. to write about than talk about. Yeah, I'm familiar with that, but no, I'm, I'm most certain that that was not involved. This was a small suburban hospital in New Jersey. Um, I don't think they had any connection to governmental agencies that were involved in that research. I am aware of that. Yeah. Right, right, that right, research. right. Yeah. Right. And as you look back, um, how did that experience affect or influence how you look at people, you know, with mental challenges, like maybe someone who has schizophrenia? Do you feel that they are people stuck in between two dimensions? That is a very good and important question, and it definitely completely changed how I would come to learn um, and digest the information that I was taught when I was a medical student studying um, medicine. We always rotate through all the specialties in medical school when I was studying psychiatry, and absolutely, yes. First of all, I don't agree and believe in the terminology schizophrenia or manic depression or anything else. These are labels that psychiatry has conveniently given to constellations of symptoms, which is what we do when we label any disease. Any disease is a constellation of symptoms. And absolutely, yes, this human being is experiencing particular symptoms, particular behaviors, particular thought or emotional patterns they're reflecting simply an imbalance in their being. And yes, they may be between dimensions. It may be trauma. It's very, very um, um, contemporary research now is suggesting that these, quote, psychiatric diagnoses are, are all result of trauma. And that trauma can be this lifetime trauma. We can also inherit trauma from our ancestors. It's called um, ancestral trauma. It's called epigenetic transmission of trauma. I, for example, um, for many, many years throughout my life, experienced a lot of anxiety, but anxiety that was out of proportion to the circumstances in my life. You know, I wasn't um, having dire circumstances that would provoke such an emotional state. But my father, for example, was a Holocaust survivor, and my mother survived the Blitz in London, and they had German fighter planes that used to shoot their, their unspent artillery at my mom and her siblings when they were running around playing outside um, in the countryside. 
So it's not unlikely that I could have inherited their unhealed trauma. This is a very well-known concept that's now shown to be, um, that's, that's now scientifically proven that we can inherit familial trauma epigenetically. Um, so these, quote, emotional psychiatric states that are diagnosed as psychiatric states may very well be ancestral trauma. They may be trauma in this lifetime. They may be karmic. We understand disease can be karmic in all of every non-Western healing tradition. We don't begin when we're born and we don't end when we die. And there's a continuum of connection to everything that was before us and everything that comes after us. And we, we may very well be expressing a manifestation of something that came before us. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, that's another long answer <laughs> to a question that was a good short question. It definitely yeah. changed how I came to understand the psyche and it caused me to question very deeply the tenets of modern psychiatry and the practices of modern psychiatry where right. we merely medicate symptoms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, firstly, thanks a lot for being so vulnerable and sharing your story. And as much as I have questions to ask you, I'm trying to be very careful and tread lightly because you also have those memories that I'm sure as you are sharing the stories, you sometimes do not want to go in certain places, right? From, from, from back in That's the past. That's okay. Okay. You can ask me anything. If I don't want to go there, I'll tell you. You'll tell me. Okay. How's awesome. That, yeah. that sounds great. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate you, you being uh, vulnerable and sharing like this because I'm sure that, you know, it helps our listeners as well. A lot of times our listeners are diagnosed with X, Y, and Z. And deep down, they know that that's not the solution. And the doctor is just telling them that that's what it is. But then something down, you know, there's an inner voice that makes them go another step or makes them go on a journey to find the solution, so to speak. And maybe what you shared today provided them one, you know, one one nugget or one uh, drop of wisdom that they can help, that can now help them, right, on, on their journey to finding the solution. But, you know, each of us has a goal, right? We have our vision, we've got a purpose, we believe that we've come here for a particular reason. And along that journey, we have certain fears. A lot of times we have irrational fears, right? So, how do these subconscious irrational fears uh, manifest in our life and, and how do they affect our life? If you can give us a glimpse into that. How do fears manifest in our life in general yeah. for all of us? Okay, yeah, sure. Well, Which are subconscious all, and irrational, like not something that I consciously, consciously know about, if that makes sense. Sure. Well... Yeah, I think fears can either be sub, obviously can be subconscious, but they can also be very, we can be very conscious of them. Yeah. And I will say that um, fears are not necessarily irrational. They may seem illogical and irrational given our circumstances. The way I described that I had for many, many years of my life, a lot of anxiety that seemed out of proportion to my situation but fear in itself is a rational response to a perceived threat. It's a rational response to a perceived threat. That perceived threat is not really a threat, but our brains are literally hardwired to be responsive to scary stuff because evolutionarily we had to be responsive to the scary stuff. When we were cavemen and cavewomen, we had to pay attention to our fear if some really scary beast was going to threaten our cave family, right? Yeah. Um, so 
our brains are literally hardwired to be responsive to fear. That's the pr- that's the brain stem. That's a part of the brain called the amygdala. That's like the thermostat that senses emotions. It senses anger. It senses shame. It senses grief. It senses fear. So yes, we might label fears as irrational, but I kind of want to not necessarily wrap our heads around that term irrational because when we use the term irrational, it in itself is another is a form of judgment. Oh my gosh, I'm having this irrational fear. I think what's most important is to acknowledge that there's some fear going on and that it may not be based in reality, but my brain, my body, my mind is responding to it as if it's a threat to my existence, right? And when it does that, it creates um, a state of stress in the body. It turns on that sympathetic nervous system that I, I spoke of earlier. I'm sure many people are familiar with that, the fight or flight system that readies us to fight or flee that predator, right? Um, It's good for me when I'm walking the streets of New York City and I have to be careful that the taxi cab is maybe going to run the red light and I'm not in the middle of the side of the block or I'm walking my dog and there's not an aggressive dog coming our way. But getting back to your question, how does it manifest? It creates stress in our body. It creates stress in our body. In terms of what you spoke of subconscious fear, I think that's another issue altogether. The subconscious fear, yes, too, creates stress in our body without us knowing it. But the level of awareness that we cultivate allows us to connect with any fears that aren't surface level. And I talk about this in the book as well. So if we can slow down to, to pause, and cultivate a self-awareness, we can connect with any fears that may be lurking below the surface. Another natural response of of the mind-body-human being is to avoid fear, to avoid suffering. So we can have defense mechanisms that keep us disconnected from what's feeling uncomfortable, right? Avoidance mechanisms. But all ultimately they create more stress in the body. I said earlier, what we resist persists. So slowing down to find it and to explore it and to be present with it is how we shift it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Or at least give some guidance in terms of how we can begin to shift it, right? Because the fear, for example, could be around uh, around, uh, having financial stability. And as a result of financial stability, what you get is security and being secure. And maybe because of childhood, maybe because of something that happened in a past life, you have some fear around being secure and receiving enough money that you want. The other thing could be fear around uh, relationships and abandonment, which which is a huge thing, right? And so maybe, like you pointed out, we avoid uh, that in the in the in the first place we avoid we avoid taking those quote unquote risks when it comes to making money or um, you know finding a suitable relationship mainly because we want to avoid the pain and the discomfort that might come as a result of taking action but not seeing the intended result right so let's say we have we we have a higher level of consciousness or awareness around what that fear might be. What are your ways then to like what 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 happens next? 
or how do we go about you know thinking about right. this well um as i said earlier what we resist persists and the way to shift what's going on is to be present with it so rather than being fueled by fear many people are fueled by fear oh my god you know my my finances are a wreck i got to do a b c d and e to get things in order or i have to work on this or i have to try to do this that's being fueled by fear that's being fueled being fueled by the what ifs right or um avoiding a relationship because you're afraid of the outcome that you think won't be what you want you're being fueled by that fear so what i talk about extensively in my book is a concept that's very very popular in contemporary spirituality nowadays it's a concept we call just being here now in the moment cultivating what we call in modern mindfulness techniques mindfulness being present with what is so being present with the fear feeling the fear doesn't mean ruminating and staying stuck in it but there are various tools and techniques that we can use to cultivate our self-awareness to be present with that experience of the emotion and it's by being with it that we shift it by being with what is is how we shift what is rather than being fueled by it or avoiding it being with what is is how we shift what is Now one of the tools you recommend you talk about is the mind body sensing right could you talk to us a bit about this Yes yes mind body sensing is one of what i call the five absolute health tools the five absolute health tools and i define absolute health as simply peace of mind absolute health is simply peace of mind it's where we need to be for whatever's going on after all if we're mentally peaceful if we feel calm isn't it okay no matter what's going on whatever's going on in our life it's okay right that can be a rare experience for many of us and for myself included for many many years i i rarely experienced peace of mind i rarely experienced peace of mind so mind body sensing is one of the five absolute health tools which i teach in the book which are tools for cultivating peace of mind and it's um it's a, it's a technique that allows us to connect to our bodies and find where we're feeling feelings in the body where we're feeling feelings in the body the body is always holding vibrations as i said earlier mind and body are ineffably and instantaneously linked so every thought and feeling is experienced in the body and when we can move from our heads and our awareness of our thoughts and our feelings to our physical bodies to sense where we're feeling a feeling in the body we can shift that vibrational state without trying we don't try to shift it it's by being with it in the body that we can shift it that's so true that makes sense it, it does make sense uh, i was just having a conversation with a friend of mine uh, intuitively over the last couple of weeks i've been what i've been doing is i've been just sitting down and uh, giving a name to the emotion or that feeling that i'm feeling because a lot of times you might feel something but if you don't give a name to it if you don't point it out if you don't if you're not aware of what you're feeling then i think you're missing out on an opportunity right you're missing out on some information that your body is trying to tell you is that part of what you recommend as well 
Yes. It's a way of getting out of the thinking brain and moving into the body. It's a way of experiencing that emotional state on a different plane. And if you like, we could do a little mini process for people if you like. Sure. Shall we do that? Okay. Maybe it'll take a minute or two. Okay. Okay. So for everybody who's live with us, anybody who's watching the replay, what I suggest to have the best experience of this mind-body sensing exercise is to first be comfortable as you can wherever you are. There's no proper posture. If you're sitting, be comfortable. It's okay to slouch even if you're into yoga breathing. Just be comfortable. Lie down if you like. Um, it's very important to be able to breathe fully and do what we call belly or abdominal breathing. So make sure you have nothing tight around your waist. I promise we're G-rated, but you might need to undo a zipper, or loosen a belt, or undo a snap, okay? Just so you can breathe really fully. You let your belly expand on the inhalation. This is called relaxation breathing that toggles on what I called earlier, that parasympathetic nervous system. So let's close our eyes. So no looking at me or AJ or the screen. <laughs> Close your eyes and just start to become aware of your breathing. And if you can, breathe in and out through your nose. Now allow your awareness to travel down to your belly, below your belly button. And on the inhalation, let your belly gently rise. And on the exhalation, let your belly gently return. So your belly expands as you inhale. And your belly returns on the exhalation. And do that for a couple inhalation, exhalation cycles in your own time. Next, what I'd like you to do is bring to mind something that's been upsetting to you recently or it could be in the past whatever comes to mind first something that may bringing be bringing up difficult emotions it could be bringing up anger could be bringing up fear could be bringing up sadness whatever comes to your mind first bring that situation or circumstance or maybe a particular person Bring that to mind. And I want you to think about all the ways this situation or person or circumstance is upsetting to you. Don't be afraid to just let the thoughts flood your mind. And don't worry, it's not going to make it worse. This is part of our process of being present with it to shift it.
And next, what I'd like you to do is name the feeling, name the primary feeling that arises. Might be fear, might be anger, might be sadness, you might call sadness grief, you might call anger irritability or frustration. You might call fear worry or anxiety. Whatever term comes to you is the right term for you. And next, what I'd like you to do, still holding in your mind all of those thoughts, and they may be memories as well, I want you to drop down into your body. Imagine dropping into your body and find that feeling that you just gave a name to. Find that feeling in your body. You may find that feeling as a sensation, a discomfort, or your attention may merely travel to a particular place in your body. Many of us typically feel anger in the shoulders, neck and jaw area. Many typically feel worry in the chest or solar plexus area, a little, little below, the, below the chest in between the rib cage and the belly button. Many people tend to fear sadness or grief around the heart center. You may feel the particular feeling in a different place than I just described. Wherever you sense it is normal and natural for you. As you do this process, new feelings may arise, and we don't have to do this now. This is something you could explore on your own after after our conversation or at any other time. Anytime new feelings arise, we repeat the process. We name that feeling and we find the feeling in the body. And when we've found the feeling in the body, don't try to make the sensation or the awareness go away. Just be with it. Just be with it. And if thoughts arise, if any feelings arise, again, drop down into the body and find the sensation of the feeling in the body. And breathe into that place with that same gentle belly breathing that we started with. Observe your mind. Observe your mind as it returns to thoughts and feelings. And as it does, return to your body awareness.
And let's close by just gently returning to following the breath again, letting the belly gently rise on the inhale and return on the exhale. Doing that on your own for a couple inhalation, exhalation cycles. Still with your eyes closed, now to just end this practice, which is a very gentle way to come out of it, palm your eyes with your hands. Bring your hands to cover your eyes. Continue to belly breathe for several inhalation exhalation cycles. Open your eyes into your palms still keeping your palms over your eyes. And when you're ready, gently release your hands down to wherever they are most comfortable and would like to rest. Thank you for sharing this technique. I'm sure that our listeners are going to Explore this technique more later on during the day when they have more time and also use this technique to gradually, slowly but surely learn more and more of how are the messages that their body is, is sending them. So appreciate that Action Tribe. If you are watching this right now, if this has been useful to you, then make sure that you give us a comment say below what you felt um, and how this meditation slash guidance uh, helped you right now um, so patricia apart from you know what you shared right now are there any other practices that you talk about and write about in your book that you feel uh, is is worth sharing right now because I know there are five. You mentioned there are five methods, right, or five modalities. Is there any other thing that you'd like to share? Sure. Yeah. Thank you, AJ, for the question. I mentioned earlier what I described as the five absolute health tools. Those are five tools that help us to stop and pause, slow down, and be in the moment with whatever it is that we're experiencing. Many of us live very, very busy and full lives, and we're kind of in a gear of our mind. So they help us to stop and slow down. I'll just mention those five tools. They are breathing, which we did a little bit of now just in that exercise, mindfulness and meditation, journaling, mirror work, and the one we just did, mind-body sensing, those are what I call the five absolute health tools, and they're tools that you can cultivate all on your own. There, there's some other practices. Did you want to say something? Oh, I, I just was going to add one other technique that has personally helped me um, come back to the present moment, no matter where I am, whether I'm thinking about the future or you know, worried about the past and thinking about the past. Actually, two techniques. One is uh, cold exposure, which is cold shower, cold plunges. Um, it has a fascinating way. I mean, water itself is incredibly healing and therapeutic, but when it's cold water, it almost feels as if it's a fierce teacher that is here to teach us something. 
and that is here to hold space for us, but not warm water, cold water, because it helps, it creates an environment for us to be here now, but also receive the medicine that we need in the moment. So that's one. The other thing is uh, oil bath, Ayurvedic oil bath, which is just, you know, self-love in the most profound sense, because you're massaging yourself, but also you are improving circulation, in, you know, improving lymphatic drainage and so many other things that uh, have short-term as well as long-term benefits so uh, do you do you do cold exposure do you like the cold no, at all i don't okay, okay, okay. i i i'm aware of it <laughs> okay. and i read about it on your um on your social media page and about the man whom you interviewed about that and that you do that and yeah. um i'm aware of it and i think if it's very helpful that's absolutely wonderful. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody's constitution. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain why in a moment. I'll um, comment also, yes, oil massage is, is an element of Ayurvedic um, therapy, Ayurvedic body work, and it's done according to one's unique constitution, which is very, very powerful. And I'll just segue to say that there are also four, what I call our four primary medicines and I detail them in my book. Our four primary medicines are food as medicine, what we take into our bodies literally in terms of material substance, lifestyle as medicine, how we go about our day. What is our body-mind experiencing? Am I sitting at a desk in a high floor of a building with no air or ventilation all day long in front of a computer screen? The third primary medicine is... Um, uh, community and relationships, how we connect with others in our lives, connection, community. Um, the fourth primary medicine is purpose. What makes our heart sing? What do we live for? You mentioned purpose earlier. Those four primary medicines are more important than any physician's prescription, and they were absolutely unique for each and every one of us. Obviously, our purpose is unique. Obviously, how we go about our day is unique. Obviously, our relationships are unique to each and every one of us. But even food has to be unique to each and every one of us. And we spoke about Ayurveda and constitutions. So I um, emphasize the importance of unique foods for our unique constitution. And it's completely individualized. We don't treat the disease or the symptom with the food. We work with the food that's right for our constitution in the time that we're experiencing whatever's going on now. Mm -hmm. That's another tenet that's um, a major principle in, in non-Western healing traditions, most typically Ayurveda and Chinese medicine, the ones that I've studied and I'm comfortable with. Right. But uh, Western nutrition treats symptoms um, with the same nutritional approach, not the person. Right. And these are, these are unique and individualized. So those are what I call the far, four primary medicines that are, that are more do-it-yourself tools for supporting our health and well-being. That is, that is very profound. I, for one, am also on a journey of, um, on a food journey to uncover what are those foods that work for me. So I have a lot of salads, but I ensure that I'm getting the greens, I'm getting the legumes, I'm getting the healthy fats, um, and, and, um, 
intuitively deep down i know that it's working for me but i'm also doing a lot of juicing these days and one thing i'm doing and i know you know it's uh, it's person to person individualized um you know customized program but i'm i'm finding that the celery juice that i'm having in the morning is really working for me uh, so there's this person called medical medium who talks a lot about celery juice uh, very controversial <laughs> but but um, but I'm, I'm loving the celery juice that i have every morning i feel that uh, it's definitely helping me that's great yeah i don't um i don't consider celery juice or juicing or raw diets or vegetables controversial but i will say for some constitutions eating raw vegetables is not supportive yeah. and for some constitutions doing a lot of vegetable juice can push us into a state of imbalance. And that's another concept that's very much part of um, Ayurveda and Chinese absolutely, medicine. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, moving on to the more <laughs> esoteric aspects of this podcast, uh, philosophical or maybe just uh, universal, what according to you is time and space? I know that you can uh, talk a lot about this, but from your experience and, you know, um, the things that you've gone through, what according to you is time and space? Well, we typically think of time as linear, right? I'm looking at my, my phone here and it's telling me it's 9.16 p.m. in New York City. And we, we, we believe, according to the way our brains work and our five senses work, that 9.16 is before 9.17, right? And it's before 10 o'clock. Um, and we believe that space is three-dimensional, right? But in reality, um, those are just constructs of our minds. They're actually constructs of our brains. And I've come to understand that time is not linear. Okay, and this is hard to wrap our heads around because our heads can't, um, can't understand this logically. There's some phenomena in nature that defy logic, that defy reason, right? Um, these are concepts that modern physics has explored. There's a field of quantum mechanics and relativity that explore deeply the idea that um, particles can behave as if they're communicating outside the, the bounds of space and time. And what this means for our lives and what this has meant for me personally was that I've come to understand, for example, that consciousness is not residing in my mind, in my brain. My consciousness is not something that existed only when I was born and disappears when I die. There's some aspect to me that exists prior to my birth and persist after I leave my body, right? Um, in terms of um, health and well-being, what this means for me is, gee, what if we don't end when we die? How might that affect how we feel about illness, dying, and death? Those cultures in which there's a framework for appreciating something beyond life, there's much less fear or no fear of, il of, of illness and death. They're natural aspects of our human experience. 
So we don't really leave. We don't disappear. We merely change frequency. Now, this again is hard to wrap our heads around. There's a lot of research that looks at retrospective um, effects. For example, something that's done now can affect something that happened in the past. There is a remarkable laboratory that was based at Princeton University's engineering school. I write about this in the book. I use a lot of science to support some of these out there notions because there's a lot of science. It's not science in Western medicine. It's science in physics and other fields outside of Western medicine that explores these ideas that maybe time and space are not the way we think they are. And there are, there's a robust field of parapsychology there's a robust field of consciousness research that suggests that present time activities can affect stuff that happened in the past. And again, that sounds all woo-woo and nearly impossible to wrap our heads around. I go into more depth in the book. I don't think I want to go into detail here because um, it, it's involved and technical in terms of des describing the experiments. But suffice to say... Um, I know that time isn't linear and space isn't three-dimensional the way we know it to be. Very, very interesting. Yeah, that's definitely very, uh, it makes sense. And at least it provides some food for thought or fodder for further research um, into these powerful phenomena or these ideas, like you mentioned, doing something right now and affecting something that happened in the past. That That's so incredible. Um so do you believe in parallel dimensions or alternate realities? I'm not sure if you've heard about Frederick Dodson and his book, Parallel Dimensions of Self. Yeah, very interesting uh, individual author and uh, parallel realities of self. He talks about the idea of uh, us having multiple smaller identities. We have our higher self right? That is the grand reality. And then individual smaller realities are going down these uh, highways, so to speak. And depending on every decision that you take, every decision leads to like, um, like a fork. And that fork creates two realities in every decision. So, so basically, there's an, there's, there's an aspect of me and you, where for some reason or the other, this interview did not take place. Maybe there was a uh, tech issue or maybe there was a rainstorm and in that reality we just reschedule the interview or in that reality something else happens. so what are your thoughts around this i think that these are all aspects of consciousness so there are infinite possibilities there this is something that um that eastern philosophy talks about there are infinite possibilities um so yes, I think that's absolutely. I, I mean, I I accept that as a as as a as a reality. There are infinite possibilities, and we are merely experiencing. This is sounding very esoteric, and um, we are experiencing one particular possibility. But there are many many possibilities, and we are particular. We are experiencing one possibility right now. But there could have been another one where, as you said, there was a rainstorm that interfered with perhaps my Wi-Fi and we didn't have the interview. Um, but, you know, I'll also say, what do we do with that? You know, what, what do we do with that? 
And I like to bring these notions down to earth, um, especially in light of my personal experience where I didn't bring those experiences down to earth. If we could hold on to these ideas, maybe we think they're crazy. Maybe we can't wrap our understanding around them. But if we can hold on to maybe the possibility that they exist, what does it mean for our own personal journeys and our global journey? If these realities really exist, if some form of me exists after I leave my body, if some form of my mom is still here, right? If some form of experience preceded my life, what does it mean for how I experience life now? How might that change how I experience my life now? And for me personally, um, it, it transforms how I experience my life now. It absolutely transforms it. It, it. it changes how I feel about the material world. Exactly. Right? It, it definitely changes how you feel about the material world. You look at the material world like it's supposed to be, like a playground as opposed to someplace where you're born and then you die and things end. But it's like an opportunity to play. I know you write about the importance of play, right, in our lives, but also it opens up our minds to so much more abundance also, right? Like if I can fathom that there is a version of me who has more opportunities or has made use of his opportunities, maybe a, a version of me that has, you know, done something, achieved something or whatever it is, that then there's a sense of possibility that, you know, I can transurf into that parallel reality, so to speak, right? So it opens up so many things, but also it opens up the idea that life does not cease to exist when we pass from one physical body to another. And that is profound. Right. And I, and I think the key, the key element to all of this is that if we can suspend our disbelief and be open to these notions that you just described, we can fearless. be fearless. Mm -hmm. We can be fearless because what stops us? What is the emotion that stops us? What is the emotion that causes us to not believe in ourselves or makes us worry about our money or fears us in a situation involving a relationship? It's fear. It's the emotion of fear. So if we are fearless, all of that dissolves and all the possibilities abound. AJ, your face just froze in my frame. I don't know if it did in anybody else's. Yeah. N now you're back. I think we were. <laughs> I think we went into a, a parallel reality where internet does not exist. Okay, so we, got, we, we did. Got, <laughs> so, yeah. So you were talking about bringing it all together, and you were talking about being fearless. Maybe if you can expound on that, and then I can capture it for our recording. Sure. Sure. Um. You know, if we can be fearless in the face of whatever's going on in our lives, in the face of a challenging financial situation, in the face of a relationship challenge, in the face of illness, in the face of dying and death, if we're fearless, we are free. We are free from suffering because what causes us to suffer and what keeps us stuck and what causes us to disbelieve? It's fear. Is it not fear? Yeah. So I ask people in my book, as I tell some of these really amazing stories of seemingly impossible healings, of seemingly impossible phenomena, 
I ask people to suspend their disbelief and ask yourself, what if? How would your life be different if you could be open to these possibilities that we don't begin merely when we're born and we don't end when we die, when we die? That we exist in some other form after that, that our loved ones don't leave us. They're just in a different form. How would your life be different? How would you live differently? And I offer, because I'm a physician in particular, how might you experience illness and the notion of dying and death differently? The illness of your own or the illness and potential death or loss of your loved ones. And I offer that it could transform how we experience our journey and it can free free us from suffering. In fact, fearlessness frees us from suffering. Do we always experience that? No, we may not. We may have to continually practice experiencing our fear to shift our fear. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. So, Patricia, how can somebody listening to this episode learn more about you? Thank you, AJ. Um, You can find me on the internet. My website is www.transformationalmedicine.org. I'm also on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and all those links are on my website. And I do love to dialogue. So if anybody has any questions or comments or compelling ideas after our chat, I'm happy to have a dialogue with anybody who wants to reach out to me and you can find me via my website to do so. Awesome. Action Tribe, I hope you enjoyed this particular episode. We'll have all the links in the show notes. The name of the book is Beyond Medicine, a physician's revolutionary prescription for achieving absolute health and finding inner peace. You can find it uh, online as well as offline uh, but make sure that you look at the link in the show note as well because we'll have more information uh, Patricia thank you so much for coming on our show uh, you know sharing all these pieces of wisdom your story and going down non-traditional routes so that we can open up the minds of our listeners and encourage and invite them to think about these new ideas as well Uh, Action Tribe also, if you would like to go on your own spiritual journey, then drop in for my next breathwork session from anywhere in the world as long as you have an internet connection and a pair of headphones. The link is my7chakras.com forward slash drop in. My7chakras.com forward slash drop in. If you'd like to use mantra, movement, music and breathwork to relax your body and calm your mind, then make sure you join us for our next session. Thanks everybody and I hope you have a nice day. Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at My7Chakras.com. That is My S-E-V-E-N Chakras.com. When you need 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.